Listen, today as members of the body of Christ, we are deliberately uh, turning our attention, I think more importantly, our hearts, uh, toward two of the greatest events, maybe even said this way, two of the greatest foundational truths that's in the Christian faith. Is that true? We obviously know that that's what? That that's Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, and we also know that it's his resurrection. Now, concerning these two areas, I'm not sure if uh, Leonard Ravenhill could have said this any better, but I want you to listen to what he said concerning the cross and concerning the resurrection. He said this. He said that Calvary expresses the love of God. The resurrection explains the power of God. Literally, Calvary expresses the love of God, and the resurrection explains the power of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I begin to sit back and think about how so many of us in this room have literally had personal experiences with the unconditional love of God, that when I think about the experiences that we've had in this room with the unexplainable power of God, it makes perfect sense to me, at least, of why we can't come to church on this day and just kind of view it as just another holiday or as just another historical event that kind of belongs in the history books. Do you agree? Now, listen, as I was uh, kind of preparing for this message, it was kind of... You know, I'm just sitting at a computer typing away, and I begin to see literally people's faces that are in the congregation. And, and you know, some of them may be here today, some may not. But, but uh, you know, I saw Miss Jean. I saw Mr. Harold's face. I saw Robbie's face. I saw uh, Dr. Ben and Miss Vicky's. I saw Jacob and Amanda's face. And I just begin to think about, you know, today, truthfully, if we wanted to, we could take this mic and we could pass it all around the room. And we could give you guys an opportunity to share basically your God story. You can share the times that basically that you've had an encounter with God's unconditional love, how you've had encounters with his unexplainable power. And the truth is, is once we got around the room, you know what that would basically end up doing? It would give us undeniable proof that he is alive today. Is that true? That basically that we can look into our very lives. Listen, I didn't grow up in this thing, okay? I didn't grow up in church. But when I personally look back at where I used to be before before I met Jesus, right? And I look at where I'm at now. There is no way that anybody could ever tell me that he's not real. Amen. See, that's why I think it's so important. And it's, it's like this. Sometimes we get more years basically in Jesus than we had out of Jesus. And we forget certain things that we don't need to forget. Yes. I don't know. It's just this idea of I remember what it was like when I was dead in my trespasses and my sin. And now to know what it's like to actually have the Spirit of God living inside of me is quite a bit different, yeah? So anyway, so this morning I want to speak to you basically for a few minutes concerning those two areas. I want to talk about the love of the cross, and I want to talk about the power of the resurrection. To do this, I want to start off by looking back, literally in a chronological way, at the last week of Jesus' life, okay? I know this may be new to some of you guys, and it may not be new to others, but we'll walk through it, and I believe God's going to show you some new things maybe that you've never seen. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. So anyways, we know that on the Saturday, basically before Jesus died, that Jesus entered into Bethany. Now, this is important. He entered into Bethany and he had dinner uh, with a few of his friends. We know them as Lazarus, as Martha, as Mary. The the Bible tells us that after dinner, that he literally uh, basically sat down and Mary came and she we know that she washed his feet with basically a very costly oil. Uh, we know the spikenard and uh, and Jesus said this powerful statement as as she washed her washed his feet and uh, we all know that Judas got all bent out of shape. But he made this comment. He said that she had prepared him for his burial. 
Now, we know on Sunday, basically, Jesus leaves Bethany, enters into Jerusalem. He's riding a young colt. I, I love what my wife said last night. Here's a colt that's never been ridden before. And uh, obviously, my wife grew up around horses. If you touch a horse that's never been ridden before, what's it going to do? But here's the Prince of Peace sitting on this colt, and it doesn't budge. It just does its job. So he rides, he rides into Jerusalem on this colt. We know it's the triumphal entry. And, uh, and literally the people are screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, meaning save us now. And, uh, fast forward in that day on, on Sunday, Jesus finds himself basically on top of the mountain. He's overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And what does the Bible say? It says that he weeps over Jerusalem, that his heart was really broken over the people. Fast forward to Monday, he enters the temple and he cleanses it for a second time. On Tuesday, he returns to that same temple and he teaches. In fact, most of what we have in the Bible of what we read comes from that one day of him being in the temple. That's why John can say that basically there's not enough to cover it. <laughs> right. So anyway, so watch this. So on Wednesday, things start to turn south. Uh, Judas Iscariot meets with the priest and he agrees on the payment of 30 pieces of silver. If he can somehow deliver Jesus, the God man, into their hands. Thursday, things really start speeding up. We have Jesus, the Passover lamb. What does he do? He shares the Passover meal or the Last Supper with his disciples. And then later that night, we know he enters into uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he goes in agonizing prayer, and he, and he prays those amazing words that would do good for all of us to pray, Father, your will be done, not mine. Amen. So we know that shortly after, he begins to basically ends up saying that part of the prayer he gets up and he starts walking back to his disciples. And what happens? His friend turned betrayer, right, begins to walk into the garden literally with three to six hundred Roman soldiers and basically people from the temple police. And uh, just kind of an idea for you so you understand these weren't some uh, slouch kind of guards. These were people that were literally trained uh, actually out of. Basically this, that they took the whole Roman army and they selected a small group and they specialized training in basically being able to stop riots. So they sent basically this group because they thought Jesus was going to start this riot, right? So anyway, so they come into the garden and what happens? Judas walks up to him. Jesus says these powerful words. He says, come to do what you need to do. What? My friend. And we know that he portrays him with a kiss, which is false worship. And then what happens? I love what the book of John says. You actually don't hear this this much in church. But as Jesus is standing there and here's these three to six hundred soldiers, Jesus kind of hollers at him and says, uh, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, what? I am declaring that he is God. And when you look at the Greek, it actually means that when he said those words, I am, that there was a release of power, literally an invisible explosion that hit those three to six hundred soldiers. And they stumbled back until they fell on the ground, flat on their back. And, the, and basically in the Greek, it, it describes them as basically looking like a corpse. Now, here's what I imagine. You've got to understand the heart of Jesus and understand the purpose of what was going on. I, I just imagine, and maybe I'm a little different, but him standing there with 600 people laid out in front of him and him just thinking, boys, when you're, when you're done, you can get up. We'll, we'll continue. You know? And so, but what's amazing is they pick themselves up off the ground. I, I, you know, I can't imagine them going, okay, we're going to go touch this guy that just said two words and the power hit us. Now we're going to go touch him. But what happens? Jesus, he voluntarily allows them to arrest him. Come on, we need to remember the words today, what Jesus said, that no man takes my life, but I lay it down by my own free will. 
Because, see, this really isn't, let me just throw this thought out here for you. This isn't a murder. This isn't like someone, uh, you, you know, rolling up the street, pulling out a gun, shooting somebody in cold blood and dropping them. This is a sacrifice. It's almost, you, you know, we have people that have been previous military in the, in the room. It's like this. It's when uh, basically a grenade gets thrown and you're there with your buddies and one dude jumps on the grenade and eats it so he can save his friends. Are you following me? It's sacrifice, not murder. So watch this. Um, basically, because he said, I lay down my life, we know that it was by his own choice that he allowed himself to be the lamb that was led away to the slaughter. Because on Friday, beginning at 6 a.m. in the morning, Jesus was tried and condemned by Pilate. Now, I don't know about you, but it's really hard for me to wrap my brain around the fact that the same people that were screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, right, save us, save us, five days later were the ones screaming, what, crucify him, crucify him. And then what happens is, because of the pressure, the people and all of that, Pilate handed Jesus over to the Roman soldiers to be mocked and spit on. And this is one of the parts, honestly, I hope that we don't lose sight of and just get used to hearing. Understand what he really did for us. They literally, he was mocked, he was spit on, they beat him, they forcibly shoved a crown of thorns into his head, and then they snatched his beard out, and uh, if that wasn't bad enough, they scorched him. Now, I know that's not a word that we use often, scourge, but uh, really what that means is this. It means that they stripped him down naked, and they proceeded to whip him, and not just with any whip. We've all heard the cat and nine tails, but what they would do with that, to give you the picture, is they would take this whip that had leather straps coming off the handle, and they would dip it in tar. Then they would go and they would dip it in basically pieces of glass, wire, uh, you know, bones, and uh you know, metal, and, and so pretty much to put all these sharp objects on it. And so what happened was literally every time that they hit Jesus, uh, those sharp ob- objects would sink deep into his flesh, and then they, when they would rip it out, it would just take chunks. And, uh, you, you know, literally chunks out of his backside, out of his back, out of the back of his legs, his stomach because it wrapped around him, his upper chest, and, and even his face. And, uh, you, you know, to give you the image, okay, because... We saw these church plays or whatever, and it looks okay, whatever. But literally, what it, if you really study this out in the Greek, it, it literally means that he was wounded so bad that literally his internal organs were, were seen. Are, are you all following me? So, it, you know, the Bible says this. It simply says that he was beat beyond recognition. So very quickly, he became very disfigured. And, uh, you, you know, I want, there's maybe a point here that I really want you guys to get. I want you guys to see that he went through this. As a person, as a man, just like me and you. Are you with me? Listen, if he didn't go through this as a person, literally feeling all the effects of this, then it would have disqualified him from being our substitute. So, and lastly, you know, on this Friday, uh, he carried his cross. We all know Via Della Rosa. He carried it to the cross, uh, got it to the Golgotha, which means skull. And then there, once again, he allowed them to nail him to the cross. So I want you to think about something real quick, okay? I want you to think about what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured. He endured. Can somebody say endured? That he endured the cross. For the joy. Who was the joy? Look around. Look in the mirror. The joy. You you know, the Bible doesn't say this, but I believe this, that literally as he was going through this process, that he literally saw every one of our faces individually. And that was the joy of knowing what the outcome of this excruciating pain was going to be. 
He said, you know what, I can endure it. And gang, basically the bottom line is this, is that proves that love endures all things, even death on the cross. Now listen, the Bible goes on to tell us that a darkness fell on the land from the, from literally the sixth hour to the ninth hour, which is basically noon to three o'clock in the afternoon. Now this is important, okay? Please don't miss this. So basically at three o'clock or the ninth hour, as Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out these powerful words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now forsaken there literally means this. It literally means why have you walked out on me? It means why have you left me alone in this terrible condition? Why have you abandoned me in the worst possible moment? That's powerful words, isn't it? See, see, it's this understanding and maybe just being simple but Jesus was forsaken so that one day he could turn around to us and say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the power that's in that. So watch this. So as he is literally saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Grasp, grasp literally the magnitude of this moment because here's what the scripture says. It says in that moment that the father laid on him or basically what that means in the Hebrew that he caused Literally, uh, to land on him, almost the weight, almost imagine just this massive boulder landing on top of Jesus. But what was that boulder? It was the iniquity. It was the sin of all of us. Literally, in that moment, he bore the weight of our sins in his own body on the tree. That in that moment, watch this, that God's holy wrath and punishment towards sin was unleashed. Because we have to stop for a minute and watch this. We, I know we talk a lot about God being love, but once again, God is holy. And because he's a holy God, he must judge sin. We can't, we can't leave that equation out. And so basically, here's Jesus getting the full uh, brunt, basically, of the holy wrath and the punishment of God. For who? For us. Watch this. It's in this moment that God's righteous judgment was poured out on the substitute. It was in this moment that he who knew no sin became sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God or in right standing before him. Right. Listen, it was in this moment that literally the man Jesus endured the pain and the separation. That's key. The separation that sin caused. Now, get this really get this, please. This is the only moment. Before that, right, never happened. After this, it's never happened. At this moment, it's the only time that the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, was separated. Now watch this. The reason they're separated, because the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That death is not a physical death. It is separation, a spiritual death from God. So what happened is here he's on the cross. The father had to turn his face away from him. Why? So that Jesus could endure the fullness of sin. You understand that even to the point of watch this, that Jesus endured literally to the point of what it's like when an unbeliever dies in his sin. Are you hearing me today? Listen, I want you to notice something else. Okay, this is pretty cool. Um, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the sky began to be dark once again from noon till three o'clock in the afternoon. This is significant for this reason is because at noontime, that was the very moment that the high priest, we know him as Caiaphas, right? That's who Jesus was first delivered to that Caiaphas, who would be arrayed in his priestly garments, began the process in which he would enter the temple. And what would he do? He would slaughter a pure, spotless Passover lamb. Now, watch this. 
This darkness that covered the land that lasted till 3 o'clock, watch this. It was at 3 o'clock in that exact moment. Once again, from 12 to this time, he'd been preparing this process. When 3 o'clock came, what would happen is, is that priest, Caiaphas, would make his entrance into the Holy of Holies, and he would offer or he would sprinkle the blood of the Passover lamb on the mercy seat. Are you hearing me? To cover the sins, what, of a nation. So watch this, at that exact moment that Caiaphas would do this, at the mercy seat, that, guess what, at the same time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus, the one who is the mercy seat, the one who is the spotless, pure Passover lamb, what happened? He cried out, what? It is finished as he shed his blood, not for a nation, but he shed his sacrificial blood for the human race. Are you with me today? Listen, it's at this moment we have to ask ourselves, when he said, it is finished, what was finished? His assignment. Let's make it simple. He, he said, my assignment is finished. Now watch this. That meant that he successfully put away our sins by the sacrifice of himself. Do you get the love in that? He successfully took away the sins of the world by nailing it to the cross. All this is scripture. That he has successfully paid our ransom with the price of his blood. That he has successfully redeemed us from the curse of law and sin and death. Do you understand that he has successfully shed his blood for the remission or the forgiveness of our sins? That here's Jesus. He has successfully become the substitute for our atonement. Do you understand that his assignment was complete in that moment? Now watch this. If these three words, it is finished, isn't enough to prove that Jesus completed the assignment, I want you to think about this. We need to remember that the moment that he said, it is finished, that literally an earthquake occurred and the veil that was in the temple the one that Caiaphas was standing in front of, right? The one that separated God and man was torn in two from top to bottom to show us that God, through Jesus' sacrificial death, had removed the middle wall of separation. Yes? And it's really key. Please, you know, I know I've said this before, but don't, don't, don't miss the point that it was torn from top to bottom, not bottom up. If this one from bottom up, it had been man-initiated. But God said, you know what, I, I want to get this thing out of the way. So I can get to you. So he tore it from the top to the bottom. Now, here's what's so awesome about this. This means that he removed every obstacle that stood in between us and him. He did it because we couldn't. Yes, his assignment was complete. Let me give you a final point about when Jesus cried out, it is finished. Okay. I want you to notice that he was not having this dialogue for us or with us. In other words, he didn't say it is finished for our benefit or for our behalf. When he said, it is finished, he was talking to his father. Yes? In essence, he was saying this. Please don't miss this. He was saying, all right, father, I did my part to become the sacrificial lamb. Now it's your time to do your part and receive the sacrifice I'm offering. In other words, Jesus had expressed what? His perfect love, once again, for us through Calvary's cross. Now it was up to God's, or it was God's time to demonstrate his perfect power through the resurrection. Now, there is a significance in this, okay? A lot of times in church, we, don't, we, we just celebrate it. Yay, we're thankful. But we really don't understand the meaning that's behind it. So please, tune in and listen to this, okay? So let's talk about Sunday. How many of you guys are glad there was a Sunday? So watch this. Don't you notice that after Jesus died, the Bible tells us to go on that before the Sabbath ended, uh, that there was uh, another one of Jesus' disciples. Obviously, we know there was more than 12. Uh, but basically, this guy was a high-ranking member of the Sanhedrin, and uh, his name was Joseph of Arimathea. 
Okay, what do you do? He went to Pilate. He asked Pilate if he could uh, basically have permission to go take Jesus's body off the cross and prepare it for burial. We also know that Nicodemus, who we see in John three, was a part of this process. Okay, so watch this. So we know that Joseph, by looking at the Bible, that he was a rich man from the town of Arimathea. That that this guy, he literally offered or donated his personal tomb for Jesus to be buried in. In other words, he was saying this. You know, even in this last moment, because listen, listen for a second. We have the opportunity to look at the Bible and see it 2,000 years later in hindsight, knowing the whole story. These guys were walking fresh in the story, right? His disciples abandoned him. Everything that they thought was going to happen, because why? Because they had what we call in the theological world the uh, messianic misconception, right? That uh, they thought he was coming to basically overthrow Rome, overthrow their government. He was going to set up his kingdom. They didn't understand he was talking about a different kingdom. And so here are these guys, they're in despair. And then you have these followers like Joseph and Nicodemus who, bottom line is, is they said, you know what? Uh, we, we love you so much, we want to honor you in your death. Honor you even to the point that, watch this, because he was a rich man, that his tomb that was really made for him, that he had hewn out. In other words, they didn't throw him in the ground like they threw everybody else. He was rich. And so it was basically, he got a king's burial, if you will. Okay? So anyway, so he ended up uh, offering once again his tomb. Here's why this is significant. How many of you guys have ever heard Jesus referred to as the Lion of Judah? Wave your hand at me. As the Lion of Judah. So I want you to know today that Joseph's involvement here wasn't by accident. Rather, he was being led by God. Here's why I say this. Because the word Arimathea, remember he's Joseph from or Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea is a place. The name Arimathea actually means the lion is dead. So get this. Once again, here's the point. That even in the smallest detail surrounding Jesus' burial, right, God was leaving us with no doubt the line of Judah being buried literally uh, in the place where it says the line is dead. Here's what he was trying to tell us, that Jesus tasted, that Jesus felt, that Jesus experienced death for everyone. That's what it tells us in Hebrews. That in this moment, God was trying to prove the point all the more to let him know, look, this guy's dead. He's dead. In, in, in his flesh, he is dead. Body, it, listen, it would be no different than this. Then if you and I went to a funeral home and went to a funeral and sat there, the guy's dead. Are you following me? It's like sometimes we forget the fact he's dead. So watch this. It's true. Joseph and Nicodemus, what they do, they place Jesus' physical body in this tomb. It was there that they prepared him with an elaborate amount of spices. In fact, uh, we know, once again, Nicodemus was a wealthy man. Uh, He was also a Pharisee and a part of the Sanhedrin. And what did he do? He brought 100 pounds of spices of myrrh and, and, and aloes, okay? That was a significant amount, basically, to come and to embalm Jesus, okay? So not only did they embalm him with all of that stuff, but they also wrapped him in a fine linen that, that basically theologians believe that was very expensive that came from Egypt. So once again, it's a king's burial, okay? So watch this. Once they got done, it's true that the Romans came and they inspected the body once again because they wanted to make sure he was dead and they weren't going to kind of pull any shenanigans, right? So what happened after they inspected his body, they rolled this very large stone basically over the entrance of the tomb. They sealed it in the Roman way and they put four soldiers in its place basically to guard it. Is that true? Is that true? Okay. How many of us know that they didn't guard it for long? (laughs) Yes. Amen. Watch this. There's this verse, we're going to take a real, real quick right here, but there's a verse that I want to draw our attention to. It's in 2 Timothy 2, 8. 
It simply says this. It starts with the words with word remember. Remember, in other words, in spite of everything that's happened, it's not over. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. What a powerful verse. Remember, remember that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Please don't miss out on what I'm about to tell you. How was he raised from the dead? Acts 13.30 says this, but God raised him from the dead. But God, God raised him from the dead. Meaning that Jesus didn't raise himself. Watch this. Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. Why? Because he laid his, he literally laid down his life to the fullest extent. Once again, that he was in the fullest sense dead. So watch this. It was going to take literally the strength of God's might and power to raise him up. So watch this. This is really important. The Greek word for this kind of power uh, that raised Christ from the dead is the word kratos. It's what it is in the Greek. K-R-A-T-O-S. Kratos. It's the strongest kind of power that's basically known to God and man. Now watch this. A lot of us times in the church, we talk about dunamis power, especially uh, churches that believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe that we receive the dunamis power. Dunamis power has nothing on kratos power. Okay? So to understand the magnitude of what we're talking about here, okay? So... Basically, the Kurtos kind of power means this. It means it is a demonstrated power. It is eruptive, tangible, and it's always visible. Please get this, that literally when the Kurtos power shows up, that there's always a, a, literally a visible manifestation that would leave you without a doubt that guess what? It just showed up. Okay? So watch this. It was basically, I want you to get this picture. It was the eruptive, tangible, visible power that overwhelmed the Roman soldiers who guarded Jesus' tomb, literally to the point that it caused them to crumble to the ground as paralyzed men. Once again, it uses the word corpse there in the Greek. They almost, they were so scared of this power when it showed up, they just froze and laid on the ground. All right? Basically, they were unable to move until what? Until the resurrection was complete. Now watch this. It was the Kratos power of God that flooded the grave where Jesus' dead body laid as it permeated every dead cell and every fiber of his body with divine life until it was impossible for death to hold him any longer. You get that. I want to say it again. It was the Kratos power of God that flooded the grave where Jesus' dead body laid as it permeated every dead cell, every fiber of his body with divine life until what? Until that it was impossible for death to hold him any longer. He won. He won. He got the victory. Can somebody say resurrection? resurrection? See, it paints the picture of this. We obviously know, and we won't get into it today, but Jesus basically, he died. But notice what he said on the cross. He said, into thy hands I commit my spirit. In other words, the destiny of my spirit is in your hands, God. And we know that obviously he went, right, and, uh, and basically preached to the captives to set them free when he took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. But it was in this moment when the Kurto showed up that that spirit rejoined that body and he came back alive in a physical body. Yes? All right, so watch this. I want to show you a unique verse, okay? Um, I'm going to show you a very unique verse that's in the Gospel of John, but it's there in a very intentional way, okay? So let me kind of paint the picture, okay? Once again, we read it at the beginning that here's um, out of Matthew that here's Mary, she comes to the tomb, right? And what she finds, there's an angel sitting on, sitting on the stone that was rolled away. We know that she takes off running because the angel said, hey, you need to go tell Peter. So she runs and she tells Peter and the disciples, hey, the Lord is alive. 
right? Remember that powerful verse, why do you look uh, for the living among the dead, right? So they run and say, he's alive, he's alive. And the Bible says that John the Beloved, who's writing the Gospel of John, that him and Peter took off running. And because John was a younger man, John outran Peter and actually beat him to the tomb, right? And so he gets to the tomb and he just stands at the door. And a part, part of that is because Jewish people respect death in such a way he wasn't sure if he could enter in. But here's Peter. We all know Peter, right? Peter, he just blew past all that, you know, all the, he wasn't a policy guy, you know, he didn't, he didn't get, he didn't get rules and regulations too well. So anyway, so, so he, he runs in the tomb and what do they find? Watch this verse here. Really odd verse in John 20 verse 7. It says this. And the handkerchief or face cloth that had been around his head. Now let me stop here, okay? What they wrapped his body in was in a very fine linen and costly, but what they put over his face was just like any other normal Joe. Okay, this is what they did just basically for everybody. So it says, and the handkerchief or face cloth that had been around his head, watch this, not lying with the linen cloths. Now, if you read the rest of the story, basically what you see is when Jesus rose from the dead, he took off literally the linen clothes and he put it on one side and he took off the thing that was on his face, the handkerchief, and he put it on the other side. And John literally said you could tell where he sat, right? And so, so watch this. So it says, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together. Those words folded together actually means that the handkerchief was neatly folded, almost that it was, uh, that it was in a very orderly fashion and very neat and careful, very intentional. He folded it and placed it to one side. And it says, uh, once again, we read it, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, at first you go, okay, that's kind of a strange verse, right? At least I did, all right? Until you start to realize a few things. Watch this. The word handkerchief there means a napkin that could be used for wiping perspiration from one's face. It's going to make sense in a minute. A minute you can go, okay, that's cool. A napkin, just hold on. A napkin that could be used for wiping perspiration or sweat like I got going on right now from one's face. All right? All right, so watch this. You go, okay, that's cool. Check this out. According to oral tradition... A carpenter would use, in the same Greek word, a handkerchief when he would work. We know Jesus is a carpenter, right? So basically what would happen is is they would take this handkerchief and they would wear it around their head as if it was a bandana to catch the sweat from their brow as they worked. Now watch this. This this, uh, bandana or this handkerchief served a, a dual purpose. Because basically, when a customer would come by to see how its project or its assignment that they were paying this carpenter for, they wanted to see how it was going, they'd basically look in, and if, you know, Jesus was sitting there with the thing wrapped around his head, they'd just kind of wave, realize he's still working on it. But then there would come a day where that guy would come, and he would look in there, and he would see, here was the other purpose or the other indicator, basically, for that headband. If that, if that project or that assignment was finished, the carpenter would take that headband that they had used to wear to, for the sweat and all that stuff as they worked on it, and they would neatly fold it, the exact same word, and they would lay it over top of the piece of furniture, whatever it was they were working on, and that told the customer three words, it is finished. Told you it was cool. So... So here's what he was saying. Watch this. On the cross, he said, it is finished. He was saying, Father, that's my part. Because was it finished? Yes and no. 
His was, but the father's wasn't. And so now we fast forward in the story to where the Kratos came. The power of God evaded his body and comes back to life. And Jesus gives us what? Once again, in his way, in the way of their culture, folding it up to say, hey, guess what, guys? The father did his part. The entire thing is done. Pretty cool, huh? So the father, once again, so here's Jesus. Once again, he expressed his perfect love through the cross. And now the father had demonstrated his perfect power. They both did their part. Now, let me tell you why I'm, I'm reading a lot of this, okay? Because tr- here, let me just take a time out, and I'll give you a real heart moment here. You know, I didn't want today to go, okay, well, let's just go through the, you know, the thing what everybody hears, blah, 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 blah. Even, even when Jacob showed up the other day, he said, man, it's so hard to make it fresh. And it's so true because we get so used to hearing it, and we just kind of hear, won't, 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 and we forget it. But it was very important to me today to go, okay, let's lay a foundation because there's doctrine all in this. Let's lay down a foundation so we really understand what, what the significance of the cross and, the, and literally the resurrection, what it really means instead of just going, well, it happened. Because here's something I, I hope you notice today, okay? The reason I'm giving you all these little points here is because I want you to see how intentional God is. How literally, how detailed he is in everything that he does. Now watch this. If he did that, you know, we'll take one of Arimathea, the line is dead. If he'll do that just for a guy's buried... How much more will he do that in your life every day? How, how detailed is he literally in what he wants to do in your life, how he wants to interact with you, how he wants to be personal with you, all those things. But I think sometimes we get so caught up of just trying to be better and do better that we forget how awesome he is and how much he's really moving on our behalf. Yeah. Listen, let me maybe say this to you. OK. God isn't worried about your character modification. He's worried about relationship. He didn't die so you'd be better. Okay? He died so you can know him. Are you all following me today? All right, let's move. Watch this. The reason this is important, and I want you to understand this, because I want you to kind of tag, tie in the cross and the resurrection. I want you to understand why this is so significant. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. Please get this. Because there's a lot of Christians that go, well, we believe Jesus died, but they don't, ever, they don't really want to acknowledge. I call them Christians. They're really not if they don't believe it. But they don't acknowledge that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay? Now watch what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ isn't risen, then our faith is empty or worthless. And we are still in our sins. I'm going to tell you why here in a second. If Christ isn't risen, then our faith is empty and worthless, and we are still dead in our sins. In other words, he's saying this. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus died in vain. All he did was die a heroic martyr's death. Yay. Watch this. And if that's all he did, then, guys, we're still without hope because our sins aren't forgiven. And that means that when we die, we're going to face a judgment. All right? But thank God the truth is, is that when we stand before God one day, because we're covered by the blood, Jesus isn't going to see us. I mean, God's not going to see us. He's going to see Jesus. Amen? Amen. So basically, if you, if you want to grab a simple point right here, it's simply this, that without the resurrection, the cross is powerless. That without the resurrection, the cross is powerless. Let me tell you why. It's because of the resurrection that you and I can be confident. Please get this. This is significant. We can be confident that the Father has accepted Jesus' sacrificial offering. Do you understand that if Jesus wouldn't have rose from the dead, then that means that the Father just didn't accept what he did on the cross. If it wasn't good enough, he would have stayed in the grave. 
Because of the cross, we can rest assured that what? That God's wrath and judgment against sin was satisfied. That's good news for us. Because that means we're not going to get it. That's a great time to rejoice. I'm like, wake up. Hello. You know? Listen, it's because of the resurrection, you and I can be sure that our ransom was paid in full. It's because of the resurrection, salvation was provided so that we even know for all, even there's some of you here today, get this, that you need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Because if the resurrection didn't happen, you couldn't be saved. Amen? Listen, it's because of the resurrection we are declared not guilty. Hallelujah. It's because of the resurrection we have a living hope that what? If Jesus rose from the dead, then guess what happens to us one day? We get to go too. Listen, it's because of the resurrection you and I uh, basically understand this, that death is no longer a prison, right? It's a passage into God's presence. What did Paul say? What? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Because of the resurrection, I get to enter in. Once again, it's because of the resurrection we can be confident that he has overcome the power of the enemy. To understand today that you cannot be more than a conqueror if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Yes? But it's because he rose from the dead, that power, guess what, is in you. And you're a conqueror. So, I guess all in all what I'm saying here is this, is that the resurrection settled it. It was God's way of putting the stamp of approval on what Jesus did. Really good news, right? Alright, so let's shift gears, okay? I want to close in, in hopefully a personal and practical way. A few minutes ago, this is really what I wanted to preach about today, but I got studying and it got shoved to the end. So here you go, okay? So a few minutes ago, we talked about not the dunamis power, but we talked about the kratos power of God. And we said that it was the kratos power that, once again, that's a demonstrative power, that it's visible, right? It's explosive, all of those things, okay? It's, it's visible. So we said that that was the power that raised Christ from the dead, well, the good news is, watch this, as the Bible tells us in Romans 8, that the same Kratos power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. It lives. Do you understand? Watch this. Not not just dunamis. Thank God for dunamis. But the Kratos power, the, the strongest power known to God and man because of the death and resurrection of Jesus now lives inside of you. See, this is why Paul could say. This in Ephesians 6.10. We'll hurry and get to the armor of God, but he says this before he talks about the armor of God. He says to be strong in the Lord and in the power or in the kratos of his might. Now, it's pretty interesting. The Greek word there, might, actually gives us a picture of a very muscular man, almost as if he's a bodybuilder. He's saying, Paul is basically trying to describe to the people in Ephesus, man, pick the biggest guy that's jacked that you know, and guess what? God's better than that. He's got that. So, in essence, it's saying being strong based in the power, and I know it sounds cheesy, but in the power of God's muscles, of God's strength. Okay, now here's why this is important, okay? I'll just shoot straight. We'll just, we'll just go here. Watch this. If the, listen, if you're a Christian in here, okay? Watch this. If you're a Christian in here, and we recognize that that power is in us, what's our excuse? What's our excuse? I mean, stop and think about it. What's our excuse for our lack of commitment, right, and our lack of faithfulness? What's our excuse for our lack of prayer, for our lack of worship, for our lack of hunger for the Word? What's our excuse for the sin that's kept us bound for so long? You don't have one. 
Are you all with me today? I'm not saying that to beat you up. I'm saying that to basically to give you encouragement and hope to understand that, guess what, the power of God that's in you, guess what, if it raised Christ from the dead, it can beat all of that. That's easy. So listen, I want to ask you a question today, real simple. What would your life look like if you allowed the Kratos power of God to flow through you? How different would your life be? You know, a few of the ladies here went to a women's conference the other day, and I love what one of the ladies said, Caroline Leaf. She pretty much said this, that, um, and then my mind went blank. That's awesome. We were talking about last night. Anyways, it's this bottom line of going, okay, um, man, my mind really went blank. That's awesome. It's okay. Watch this. We'll move on next thing. So that's what you do. You just move on, right? All right, here we go. So listen, if the Kratos power is in you, just ask yourself, how much fruit would you bear for the kingdom? How much, right? How much fruit would you bear for the kingdom? Even in this, if you really realize that the Kratos is in you, guess what? How can fear stand? Yes? To stop and think for a second, okay? What happened when they came to get Jesus in the garden? What did the disciples do? They fled. Peter denied him, all of that. And then guess what happened after he got born again, right? We know he got baptized in the Spirit, but Jesus, you know, rose from the dead, all those things. What did he do on the day of Pentecost? We know it's dunamis, but, but listen, there was more moving there. He became one of the most bold people that's ever lived. L- literally, watch this. To kind of give you a, a thing, and we might, I might tell you later, but do you understand it was in front of Caiaphas that he denied Christ three times, and it was later in front of Caiaphas that he preached why? Because the Kratos came that literally destroyed the fear that one time basically ruled his life or dominated him. So let me ask you this today, okay? Because here's the truth. We hear stuff like this. Okay, I have Kratos power, but in the back of our heads, there's a whole lot of doubt. Yes? So why is there that doubt? What's the failure? What's the fears? What's all those things? And I just remembered what that woman said. <laughs> Watch this. Let me go ahead and tell you it while I got it, while it's hot. All right? <laughs> Literally, she said this. Basically, how a lot of us use our personalities as excuses. Right? We say, well, I'm just wired this way. I'm this. I'm that. And her point that she gave to all those ladies that was there is, look, because the power of God's in you, guess what? You can't use that as an excuse. Because basically, the power of God is there in you to basically make you into the image of his son. Yes? So once again, this transforming power is in every one of us. Amen? All right. So let me ask you a few questions, okay? You can go ahead and stand to your feet, and we'll get done. Ms. Kim, if you don't mind coming, it would be great. Let's go ahead and kind of shift gears, okay? Thanks for hanging in there with me today. We are going somewhere right now, okay? So don't, don't, don't start packing your mental baggage up, okay? You know, there's this thought really behind today. I know we talked about the resurrection, resurrection power. But personally, today, before we leave, I don't want to just talk about it. I want to give people an opportunity to experience it. Okay? Listen, if we say he's alive, then why not, why not approach him? Yes? Why not come to him and say, okay, Lord, here's where I'm at. Can you encounter me with your perfect love? And can you encounter me with your perfect power? So I kind of want to give you a few thoughts today, and and we're going to pray for people in the altar. Um, We're just going to invite the Holy Ghost to come and do what he does best, and let's change our lives. But here's the first question I want to ask you today. Once again, as we experience his power, what impossibilities are you facing in this room today 
that God's gratos power can overcome. Because there's no doubt in my heart, I know it, that there's people in this room right now that are really struggling. Okay? There's things in your life. Listen, listen. It, it could be, make something really clear. It could be small or it could be big. It could be kind of, you go, ah, I can get through this. I, I, I'll press in. Or it could be super tough and you go, I don't know how I'm going to make it. The bottom line is, is God wants to touch either end of the spectrum. Amen? He's able. Okay? So to ask yourself, what emotional difficulties am I going through today? What are the relational issues that I'm struggling with today? Because that's one of the hardest things in life is just to get along with people. Amen? So even this, because let's recognize that it's here today. What sin and what addiction is in your life that the power of God can't overcome? Literally, if it's pornography, he can break it. Okay? If it's drugs, he can break it. If it's alcohol, he can break it. You name it, he's got it. Amen? Listen, if please understand this moment. It's really important that we get hungry and we go, God, okay, I'm preparing my heart for whatever you want to do. So listen, are you facing sickness and disease today? Let's go back to what we talked about earlier, okay? Here's you a little nugget. We know that Jesus was with 39 times, right? Do you realize that there's 39 major diseases in the world? So Jesus literally took a hit for each disease that's here 2,000 years later because the Bible says that by his stripes we are healed. That he literally covered every one of them in that point where he was scorched. So what obstacle are you facing today? Let me maybe change and ask it this way. What does he need to resurrect in your life today? What's dead in your life? Come on, think about this. If God can raise a dead person, he can raise a dead marriage. He could raise uh, literally a, a dead relationship, a dead career, a dead dream. God can do the impossible. Amen. But, but it's kind of this. And I want you to get this picture because, man, I know that this is what some people in this room have been doing for some time. And you even give a spiritual name to it. But here's what you've been doing, okay? Because you act real spiritual because it's really important that you look spiritual. But here's all that you've been doing. You, you just keep redecorating the tomb. You keep redecorating the tomb and just trying to convince yourself that things are different when they're really not. There's still death inside. But there's something about when you invite his resurrecting, the gratos power into your life that allows him to basically not redecorate it, but to destroy it. God's listen. God's not into. Please get this. God's not into helping us cope with our issues. He wants to destroy them. Right. If you, need, if you need a biblical example, he didn't just kind of keep, uh, you know, the Egyptian army at bay. He destroyed them through the Red Sea. That's what he wants to do with your problems today, with your issues, with your obstacles. So let's just close our eyes really fast. How fast did you close your eyes? It's amazing the things we say. Just in your own moment here, okay? Listen, I know this may be different. That's all right. But in your own moment there, recognize that he's alive. And just ask him. And do yourself a favor. Don't be so spiritual that you think about the person across the room. And think about someone else's needs. Right now, it's not about them. It's about you. What's in your life of those things we named? If it's a sin, if it's something needs to be resurrected, whatever it is. 
If you know that there's something in your life today that you need to allow the resurrected power, the perfect power to touch in your life, let him touch you today. Same time, let me throw this out there. If you want to see the Kratos power of God operate in your life, part of that is he's showing you something that's hindering it right now. And do yourself a favor. Don't ignore the first thing that came to your mind. Don't try to make excuses. Once again, the power is big enough to remove that excuse. So if you've got something that you know that you need him to handle today, throw both hands up in the air, please. Come on. Listen, if there's addiction, I mean that today. Don't play around. Let him come and touch you. Just keep your hands up. Give me a minute to do a little housekeeping here, okay? Mr. Sean, come here, please. Tammy, Robbie, come here, please. Ben, Vicky, come here. Brian, come here, please. Noah, come here. Jim, can you come up, please? Come up. So listen, let's get hungry for the Lord and let's watch this. Let's believe in his miraculous working power in this moment. Please, please do yourself a favor. Don't leave here today without giving him room. Obviously, if you guys can help, I'm sorry. So if you got your hand up, listen, we're going to take all the time we need today. I want you to come up to one of these people. And all I simply want you to do this. I don't want you to give an excuse. I just want you to say, here's what I want prayer for. Here's what I need God to do for me. And listen, please, in this moment, have a humble, open heart and just be real. Okay? God already knows. So the altar's open. We're going to play. If you need prayer, uh, if you guys want to kind of scoot down a little bit, please come now. Come on, please. Come, 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 come. Half the room's hands up. Let's move. Let's go. Amen. Listen, if you have not asked Jesus Christ in your heart, today is a really great day. We talked about it, obviously, that he died for your sin. He died so you could live in him. So if you need say, you know what, Pastor, I need to get my heart right with God. I need salvation. If you say for the first time or maybe I've backslidden, look, I just need to get right with God. If you had your hands up, I would just encourage you to just kind of come down here and wait. And uh, when there's a spot open, we'll put you in it, okay? Because there's more people that have their hands up. We want to make sure we pray for every person. Listen, if you know you don't need prayer, just stretch your hand out to these guys and believe God will move in their own lives, okay?